Hey, dentisting friends, this is Dr. Nacho. I'm so excited to be doing the Dental Nacho Supreme CE coming up soon. It is going to be 24 hours of live streamed virtual CE brought to you on your couch when you watch live. It counts as live. Miss an episode. It's going to be up in the group for the entire year. To learn more about this awesome opportunity, reach out to us at dentalnachos.com or email supreme at dentalnachos.com. My number one amigo, Rob, is going to be one of the uh, presenters for the Dental Nacho Supreme. It's going to be awesome. You're going to love it. It's going to be CE brought to you on your couch. Don't miss out. Welcome to the Dental Amigos podcast with Dr. Paul Goodman and attorney Rob Montgomery, taking you behind the scenes of the dental business world, all the things you didn't learn in dental school but wish you had. Rob is not a dentist and Paul is not a lawyer, but since Rob is a lawyer, we need to tell you that this podcast is for informational purposes only and shouldn't be considered legal advice. Listening to this podcast does not and will not create an attorney-client relationship. As is always the case, you should formally consult with legal counsel before proceeding with any legal matter. Learn more about The Dental Amigos at www.thedentalamigos.com. And now, here are The Dental Amigos. Hello, everyone. I'm Rob Montgomery, and I'm joined, as always, by the head nacho himself, Dr. Paul Goodman. Great to be here, Rob. Good to see you, Paul, and welcome, everyone, to another episode of The Dental Amigos, the only podcast co-hosted by a dentist and a lawyer. We are special. (laughs) As far as we're concerned. Uh, Today, we have a special guest. We're joined by Eric Morin, uh, who uh, is the CEO of Tower Leadership. Uh, Eric is a business consultant, author, Forbes keynote speaker who's been in the business and dental industry for over a decade. Uh, Using his philosophy and culture as the heart, he established his own dental practice to be a thriving multi-doctor practice from the ground up. He passionately speaks and motivates his audiences and clients by showing entrepreneurs how to invest within the walls of their business to create significant growth, debt reduction, and build a business that impacts the lives on a large scale, all while leaving behind a true legacy of wealth. In addition, Eric has his own podcast, uh, fellow podcaster, Paul. Nice. Funny how that works. We get a lot of those people on the show. Our people. Uh, And that's called the Dental Wealth Podcast. And I've listened to uh, a few episodes and I can can vouch. It's a cool, cool show. Awesome. Uh, Good topics and things that make you think about what you're doing. Uh, So now, without further ado, here's Eric Morin. Welcome, amigo. And thanks for being on the show. Hey guys, uh, glad uh, to be here. Thanks for having me. And that was one heck of an introduction. I like that. <laughs> yeah, Rob's a good intro person, Eric. I, I, I mean, you, hear, you, you hear that and you go, you go, wow, that sounds really, really great. You're cool, yeah. man. That's it. It's good. <laughs> we start off with the toughest questions uh, right up front uh, to get them out of the way. So if we were in Atlanta, you know, where would we go for nachos and what's your uh, favorite topping? I, you know, I am a, there's a place called Papacitos here um, that I have to go to as often as I can. And, uh, you know, I think one of the best things is, is for me is they make the, the fresh tortillas there. So I love the something about a warm, fresh tortilla and then the nachos. But I will tell you, my, my, my favorite topping would have to be jalapenos. Nice, I mean, spicy. Absolutely. I like that. So I like those got, too. Got, got, to, got to keep the fire. Old school. I, I think, you know, it's sort of the, the tortilla is like a, an underrated part of the whole process. Yes, I know. There's a place in South Philadelphia, you know, what used to be a very Italian neighborhood, um, actually where Rocky ran, right? Yeah. You know, when he's running through the Italian market, uh, and it's now uh, a big uh, Mex- Mexican influence in that neighborhood. And they've got this tortilla place yeah, where they come, they, yeah, yeah, yeah. They come off, the, yeah. off the, the conveyor belt, you know, it's like you just eat them. I'm like, I need uh, 43 fresh. ones for my daughters. They're not even here, but I'm 
I'm just gonna, I'll bring them to them. Yeah, that, that's what watching them just come off the belt. That's hot tortillas or something about that, right, guys? Oh that's yeah, great. hot fresh stuff and the fresh corn is good. Um, so, uh, Eric, uh, tell us uh, a little bit more about what you do for uh, for dentists and in, uh, in the dental industry. You know, my my I ended up in this industry kind of by accident, as a lot of people do sometimes. <laughs> but I, you know, I, I married, I, I was, you know, dated somebody who wanted to go to dental school and, and I got an MBA and I spent years consulting um, for a lot of um, businesses that were outside of dental. And so many years, you know, my, what ended up being my wife would talk about crowns and bridges and it, <laughs> so many times I would say, stop talking about dental. Um, and then one day that became my life. Uh, she, she started a dental practice and she said, would you stop helping everybody else uh, do well and start helping me? And so I got rid of all my clients and I started building a dental practice. And my um, conversation was, with her was this. I said, I will help you build a dental practice on one condition. And that's we don't hire anybody until I say so. Uh, which means I wanted to really understand, you know, build out my own processes. I wanted to build out scalability in the organization. And I really wanted to start from ground up. I didn't want somebody to come in with another doctor's philosophies or processes um, into that practice. And we took that practice from zero to a multi-doctor, multi-million um, dollar practice really quick. And for me, I just kind of started applying all the things I knew about business and, and I think some innate abilities. And then I started having people come by my office and said, you know, you really should help other doctors with what you do. And started with some specialists paying me to help some general practitioners. And so I started helping doctors and I really got a lot of success in that and I enjoyed doing that work. And then one of the things I saw was that the financial advisors, while they were meaning well, would come into the dental practices and they would start kind of pulling out all the disposable cash that was left over and started putting it in 401ks and other places um, and not really understanding the value of investing in a dental practice, which I'm sure we'll get to. But what I started, I went back and got my investment licenses, guys. I, I, I said, hey, if you're going to do this, I want to understand where these financial advisors are telling put money. So I went out and I got my um, you, know, you know, all my investment licenses, insurance licenses, and, and actually got approved to do um, through FINRA and through the SEC to actually do consulting and financial planning together. And I've let my licenses go, but that's a long way of saying what I do with doctors is I want them to truly realize the potential of a dental practice. And um, that means one, I mean, learning how to invest within the walls of it and seeing the true potential of it. Uh, but the other side of that, which is creating a scalable business where so many doctors sell their practices because they feel like they're, uh, the management weighs them down and, and they get kind of stressed out and they're always managing cash flow. So fixing those processes and creating a business that runs without them having to be there and showing them how to turn that into wealth for their family and impact their team and their community. So if we really learn how to do that, which is what I try to do, 
with these doctors, and it can really in significantly impact uh, their wealth, but also impact all of those are around them. So it's a long-winded uh, answer. Yeah, no, no, it's that, cool. That, There's that, lots of good stuff there. We've got we've got the material. Well, since, Paul. Since maybe you should get your wife. Or since <laughs> I'm the only only uh, dentist on the podcast here, Eric, I'll ask, uh, and I think that's a great. I, I have opportunity to see you uh, speak, which was which was awesome. And maybe you know, for our listeners. Uh, who are dentists like me, and and even for me, who's hard to think back, you know, 17 years ago when I was, you know, kind of in private practice, starting private practice. Tell us, like, from a non-dentist perspective, you know, you come into your wife's practice. What are what are some just some, you know, bullet points that make dental practices and the business of dentistry unique? You know, maybe not like other businesses. And then, what are some ones that are just part of every business that you would say, hey, if you're a dentist starting a practice, buying a practice, I did this with my wife and I noticed right away X, Y, Z. I'm just curious from an outsider's perspective. That is a great question. And I'll answer it by this and say, so many of the things are the same. And I think that's important to know. And the reason why I said that first, and I'm gonna go back to what makes them unique in a second, but I think what makes them similar Sometimes I tell doctors, don't fall so in love with your product. Um, and there's some of the like, traditional business advice that says, don't fall so in love with your product that you kind of get lost in the good, so to speak. And what I mean by that is, sometimes people are so lost in being a dentist and the business of dentistry that they stop objectively looking at the business. One of the questions I was asked when I would go consult from, I would go to an industrial barcode company and then I would go to a foreign company and then I would go to a construction company. And people would say, how do you do it? How do you go from one business to the next business to the next business? And I would say, well, it's just a widget. I mean, at the end of the day, business is business. So the so many things apply across the board. I think what happened in dental practices is people started looking at a long time ago, and I think financial advisors pushed this, is people looked at a dental practice as an income stream and not an asset. So the idea was to start a dental practice take your paycheck home, maybe save some of that with your local financial advisor, and then at some point you just sell this thing off, you pay your taxes, you pay off any debt you have, and the idea was that you were gonna ride off into the sunset, which according to the ADA, 95% of dentists retire with less income than they had where they were working, so that never worked. So I think one of the things that happens with outside businesses is they look at their business like an asset, where many dental practitioners look at it as an income stream. And I think that's where the problem comes because once you become a business owner, in a sense, you can no longer say, well, I'm a dentist, I should get paid X amount. What you should say is, I'm a business owner, I'm going to take the amount I need to pay my personal bills and then I'm going to invest a significant amount of capital so I can grow this business. I think where dental becomes specific is that you can affect the, the experience so significantly. One of the reasons why I didn't want to um, be, I didn't want anyone else hired is, I really got to know my patients. And, and, and now I wasn't the dentist, remember? <laughs> but I knew when they walked in the door, it was like, I mean, I got to know them so well, their experience was so amazing that I knew that they couldn't go down the street and have that. And I started building such strong relationships and it's such an amazing experience. Everything I did was about experience. Um, and, and I'll just give you one example and then we'll go back on track. But I, but I remember the only argument we had the entire time we worked together um, was I remember my wife coming in and, and I spent $3,000 on these video game machines. And it was at the ADA and, and I kind of just jumped to action. So I bought these things without 
you know, we, we, we didn't discuss it. And the only conversation she ever, she got so upset and she came in my office. I remember she was just like, why did you spend $3,000 on machines? And I remember looking back to her and I said, because the average patient that we have is a 30 something mother of two to three kids. Her entire day is stressed out and it's bogged down and she can have one or two experiences when she comes here. She can either get a break um, when she comes in. So in other words, the kids are over, you can imagine it, they're on the video game machines. And by the way, if she had a bad experience, she wouldn't have blamed the doctor, she wouldn't have blamed the hygienist, and it doesn't really matter how beautiful the office is. But I knew that if she had two kids the whole time saying, you know, when are we done, when are we done, when are we done, it would, you know, she would be stressed out for another hour. So going to the dentist was going to be a nightmare for her versus the kids not even wanting to go back to the hygienist because they're having such you know, a great time in the video game machine. So I could see her sitting in this, you could see her sitting back and having you know, something to drink, cup of coffee or something, and the kids are being taken care of for In a sense, she gets a break for an hour. She looks forward to going to the dentist. So what I mean is in the, and we could go, by the way, we could talk about experience for five podcasts, right? right. But the point is, I'm sure plenty of your guests have talked about it, but I think in the dental realm, there's so many places to, to differentiate your practice based on experience. I think that's what makes dental so unique. Well, you know, let me say this, because you know, there's a couple of themes that I kind of pull out from what you said there, really. And it comes back, I think, to like a bigger picture, which is just generally it's sort of like the trap of being a professional who has a business and, you know present company included mm -hmm. here you know while while i'm not a dentist <laughs> i am a professional that has a professional business and you know what i tell people uh clients and people that uh that i speak to and lecture to and, and do uh do seminars uh, for is you know the importance of a dentist you know taking a step back and not getting stuck in the trap of just practicing their profession because it can be a trap you know and i think a lot of times you can kind of gloss over sort of deficiencies in your business and not focus on the business because you are just, you know, quote unquote, practicing dentistry or practicing law. And that's good. You know, you need that to do that because that's what sets you apart from other people as a professional. But you can't let that be an excuse from paying attention to your business, whether you're talking about looking at, you know, how to improve the patient experience or looking at, you know, cash, you know, cash stream or income stream rather versus the practice as an asset. You know, you can be a professional and still run a business. They are not mutually exclusive things. And where we see people who don't thrive uh, in, in the dental world are, are the people that don't focus on things like a business, you know, and they, they want to delegate all the business decisions. They want to delegate sort of the tough, tough conversations, whether it's HR or any other operational or expansion or patient experience, whatever it is to other people, which it's fine to delegate that stuff, but you can't just check out. You still have to know what's going on in your business and be focused and run it like a business. And you can be a professional and a business owner as a dentist, but uh, it's an easy trap to fall into, which, you know, Paul, you and I have talked about yeah, on a number of occasions, sure. you know, and, and it's so much more fun. The days that you can go in and just be a dentist and not have to answer questions, not have to deal with business stuff. Same thing with me for yeah. in, in my law practice. You know, give me a document and three hours to review it and make changes and then get on the phone with the client. 
that's great. You yeah, know? right. I mean, that's a luxury these yeah. days, right? Uh, but that—that's, I think, that's my observation. What, what our, you talked about there, Eric, and I, I think you were talking about experience. I'm a big customer service person. One of my quotes is, "Great customer service is about happiness and not rightness." And I run these. I run the Dental Nachos Facebook group, and I would like to. I use a Rob term and a dental term, drill down until you, t we talked about decision-making. What do you think? So I think that it would have taken me three seconds to make the same decision as you as to buy those video game machines. But your your wife acted like most dentists. If I put a poll up on dental nachos that said, would you purchase $3,000 in video games for your waiting room for your, for your patients? I know I would get 90% no for that. So what do you think it is? What type of things happened in dental school or what type of influence did your wife get to think that purchasing that was not a good decision? She was actually angry and she was, you know, I think she's lucky to have had you to do that because I think experience is everything because- Be sure to go home and tell her that today. Yeah, yeah, too, like, you know? yeah I don't know if this is a podcast. <laughs> Paul but Goodman I, said that you're lucky. But I, I have a two, before you answer me, I have two, I have two, and you you hit a, hit the nacho nail on the head because the way I describe being a dental practice owner, we're just being an associate, being in dentistry is two ways. One is putting on a Broadway play every day that nobody wants to see or be at, right? So that's basically one way to put it. And the other, and I'm you know, working with Rob with Transitioning Grade is, you know, having a three-year-old every day that never grows up. You know, when you have a three-year-old, I have a one and a five-year-old, you know, people walk by and say, man, having that three-year-old is the best time of your life. And I say, how old's your child? Like 40, our child's 40. So they forgot what it was like. And <laughs> I think that what you did for your wife there with the customer service is important, but what do you think, it, I just love this, like what do you think happens to dentists where they think purchasing that machine is a bad idea? So that's a great question. I think what you go down to, and one of the things I talk to doctors about is if you think about the most of the, advice they're getting okay is about not reinvesting in the practice okay so they think of marketing as an expense they think of team as an expense they think of so many of these things and by the way it's because of a lot of the advice they're getting is from um, accountants and I'm not knocking CPAs by the way I love CPAs I'm just saying when you're focused on the expense and tax side you, you don't look at growth and profitability as much so let me give you an example of what I mean so when you, when you have a business, there's really five places we in, in, in this order that we would be putting money. The first is reinvestment. So as soon as so assuming I have a net profit, for instance, of $100,000, the first thing I want to look at is where do I reinvest my money to grow the, the money? Um, and that's the reason why we want to do that is because it's pre-tax. So we say, hey, where would I get the most return? We start calculating ROI. We look at our opportunity costs and say, hey, these are some places we could put money. Then we move on to the second. We pay our taxes, right? Then we reduce, in a sense, our net income. And we have investment, which is this is the key. They're missing the investment piece. They're not investing in things. And some of it's because of confidence. And I, and I don't mean that in a negative sense. I mean, they haven't been given the confidence to be able to invest in certain things or know the numbers to have the, the confidence. But then they pay taxes. The third is then once they've done their reinvestment, they've paid the taxes, then they pay their debt. Then there should be this, this money called reserves left over. And so, so for future expenditures, and then lastly, lastly, after everything has been, out of reinvestments have been made, taxes have been made, debt's been made, and there's extra money, then and only then do we take home profit, right? And that's how an organization should be run, whether it's dental or not. But what ends up happening in the dental side 
even I've seen a lot of even CPAs that are from the National Association of Dental, you know, CPAs, I've seen advice that says the first thing you do is take profitability or distribution, as we call it, a distribution home as part of your overall compensation. Now, that happens before reinvestment. That happens before taxes. That happens before debt and it happens before reserves. So what ends up happening is going back to this business cycle, we've got it upside down. The first place we put money is reinvestment because that's going to grow the organization. I was telling someone the other day, I said, you know, I don't mean to be disrespectful, but if you have a million dollar dental practice for 30 years, that's not terrifically successful because even if you had 30 new patients a month that came back every six months for 30 years, you would almost have to try to hold it under a million dollars. But the reason that happens is because there's not a significant amount of reinvestment back in the practice and there's not a lot of guidance around it. Now, people will buy equipment. That's not what I'm talking about. Um, I'm not yeah, talking what about are you referring equipment. to when you talk about reinvestment in, that, in those terms? Or? Great question. So I might be talking, for instance, one of the things I talk about sometimes is this idea of 401k versus the practice. So this is a great time to have that conversation. So let's just say that you're, you're down to your practice and someone says, so you, you called your financial advisor up and you said, hey, one day I really want to retire. I want to be done with this. And so where's the first place that I would put money? And the first place they're going to tell you is, hey, let's put some money in a 401k. If we put money in a 401k, what that ends up doing is it, it, you know, it's going to have savings for retirement. It's going to um, reduce your current tax, you know, taxable income for this year. And so that sounds great. It all sounds great. That's, that's advice yeah. that you would expect to get from a financial advisor. Right. That's right. And it sounds great. Mm -hmm. Now, I will argue the, the number one need of any business, by the way, is capital. <laughs> or cash and locking up cash for the next 30 years um, doesn't seem like a great idea to me. Um, there's another side of that, which before I even get into the numbers, think about this for a second. Um, if, you, if you look at a 401k, and the reason they'll tell you is that you should put money in a 401k because in retirement, your income will go down. So your tax rate will be lower. Like, I just stopped someone right there. Yeah. <laughs> I yeah. mean, you think about that advice. So if I work with you for the next 30 years, you'll guarantee that my income's going to go down? Sign well, that your assets will go down, too. Like, I, that doesn't seem like a great strategy, gentlemen. I don't, you know, <laughs> so lock, you're going to lock up my money, and you're, you're assuming that, that these mutual fund managers can do a better job than me when I know my own company. And so you're going to lock up my, my money for the next 30 years, and then under the assumption that you can guarantee my income and my assets will go down. So let's just put that aside first. Yeah. But, then, but then let's say that, go back to my, the example I just gave. So if you have $100,000 in net income, and we don't do, you know, instead of reinvestment, we decide we're gonna put $40,000 into a 401k. So instead of $100,000 of net income, the tax, right, the IRS would say you have 60,000 because 100,000 minus 40,000 equals 60,000. Well, if we look at that initial investment of 40,000, and I know I'm doing math over a podcast, which by the way, I know that's dangerous. <laughs> it's, okay. it's easy math though. I like you're using big <laughs> round numbers, all right. Eric. All right, good, I'm, I'm trying to stay around numbers and I'm it's trying good. to uh, We're go through the math slowly. But, but if we do that, we, we say that there's the rule of 72, which says that if you take 72, you divide it by the rate of return, it tells you how long it takes money to double. And so we know then that because the stock market goes up and down, that $40,000 will end up in, in the next 
um, you know, decade, because it takes about 10 years for money to double. It'll be $80,000 in 10 years. So we go, okay, well, hey, at least we have $80,000. We, we, we put some money aside. The investment advisor says that's great. Um, the accountant says that's great. But we have somewhere else we can put money, which is really more powerful. So we have this dental practice. So I love to start off with marketing. Now, we could do this with an operatory. I can do this with, with a lot of different things. I like marketing because it's statistically significant. Um, and so let's just take a marketing example. So in dentistry, the average acquisition cost, the cost to get a new patient is around $115. And the average revenue per new patient um, is $1,700. So if we take that $40,000, okay, we divide that into 115, 115 into the 40,000, that gives us 348 new patients. Okay, so if you're listening, you might have to write that down, but 348 new patients. If we multiply the 348 by 1,700, that gives us $591,600. And if we just took 30% of that, that means in the first year, so in the first year, we can either, right, it, it can, we can have $80,000 in 10 years, or we can have 177,480 in the first year. Now, you gotta think about this for a second. Who's figured this out? Private equity's figured this out. Business so people, right? Are, people that, that are not right. tied down by you know, the profession, people that are running a dental practice like a business. That's correct. And if you even, I always laugh, I say to you, if you watch Shark Tank, anyone who watches it, they'll see, they're gonna ask acquisition costs. You know, Mark Cuban, that's one of the biggest questions he asks. So when I came into this profession as an MBA, I came into this profession you know, thinking of it like a business. And I said, well, you've got to understand your acquisition costs and then what's your revenue for a new patient, which by the way, we can focus on both, but the return, I think this is the biggest thing, the return on an investment in a dental practice is so significant. This is why private equity, private equity, think about this for a second. Private equity can go put their money in the stock market. They're not doing that. They're putting it into dental practices. So why are you getting advice that says put in the stock market when private equity is saying invest in the dental practice? Amen, brother. Amen. I love it. I mean, that, that is so powerful, I have to say. And it's a conversation that I've had with clients and, and, and people that I've advised in the dental industry and outside the dental industry. When you talk about, you know, investing or you know putting money into some other business line or you know giving somebody a startup or a seed investor or you know buying stock in you know 401k or whatever and it's like you're an entrepreneur you're a small business owner you know invest the money in something that you actually control the outcome and you can make the decisions i mean it's nice that the stock in amazon or apple or google or whatever might increase the value of that may increase but like you have nothing to do with that you know meanwhile you can take that money and put it someplace where you actually have you know have the ability to make decisions that can be beneficial and and turn that into something much greater and not just sit back it's like going to the racetrack you know like what, what 100 bucks on 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 four to win well, like i don't know is that I'll a good just, investment i'll just jump in and share the awareness of the dental perspective for Eric and Rob, which is a good one. So first I could tell when I saw you speak, Eric, I knew you'd like to be on this podcast. And uh, I'd like to bring up at this point, uh, one of my favorite themes. Uh, what, what time do you get up in the morning, Eric, usually? 
it's going to sound insane, <laughs> but about <laughs> so don't scare anybody. But I'm usually up around 355. Mark Costas, Eric, the last guy we had doing the Ironmans, Patrick, I think. Valencia, uh, yeah, uh, for, Rob. For so everybody, I I wake up at the crack of 6:45. I'm a lazy sloth <laughs> compared to Rob. Rob's like, right. So one of these days we're going to have video for our podcast, so people can actually see Paul's reaction when he gets that answer. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so anyway, up. I knew you guys, but you guys are business buddies right now, and that's good. But I. For a minute, for our, our listeners, which are mainly dentists, and I'm not sticking up for them, I'm just sharing, and I just think it's important. So your guys are saying, invest in your business. You know, don't you do a 401k? Private equity is doing this. great concepts, but let's just walk well, through. Well, I don't the think life. that's what he's saying, though. But go ahead. I mean, Paul, let's look, walk through the life of a dentist. You go to dental school for four years. They mention nothing about business the entire time, how to make these decisions. Then maybe you do a GPR. Uh, where you maybe meet someone like me who incorporates some practice management and general business ideas, but not ones that are as high level as you know some of the things you're talking about, Eric and Rob. Then you become an associate, then you acquire a practice. Once you acquire this three-year-old that you have to be in charge of every day, I would love to hear Eric in the, in the most genuine way, and Rob too, you have a dentist who says, you know what, I think you guys are on to something, and next year I'm gonna take a break, and I'm not gonna invest $40,000 in my 401k. I'm going to listen, but I would like to know what would you have them do? Because we can't expect people to speak Spanish if no one's ever taught them Spanish. So how are we going to expect these dentists to incorporate this? Because I think that's the hardest part. I I, I know many dentists that say, sure, Eric, I'll do new patient marketing and do these things, but what, what do I choose? What What's my menu options? So when you grow any business, it always comes, and it's a great question, by the way, and I love that you broke it apart that way. When you look at growing any business, it doesn't really matter. I was watching The Profit recently, uh, you know, anyone who watches Mark I know that show. Show yeah. on CNBC, right? You'll, you'll see the same formula he uses, and it's the same formula that really is taught in business schools over and over, which is there's always some form of marketing capacity in team. And so sometimes, by the way, just to grow a practice, you could just simply open up hours. So you might not even need a market. Maybe there's people that are trying to get into your practice that you're not even open for. And so, and by the way, the argument to that is always, um, you know, well, we have holes on the calendar. By the way, there will always be holes on the calendar. And what I mean by that, I always tell a simple explanation for that is, hey, if you opened up a restaurant and the upper, it was just in the evenings from five to 10, right? You would, what would be the, the hour that nobody wants to come? I mean, Five o'clock, yeah, right? Usually, that's why you have early work specials. Yeah, kids are not trying to room. That's why you have a happy hour, right? <laughs> exactly. So businesses look into the same thing. Look, nobody wants to go to a dental office at ten o'clock and two o'clock. Those are the, because they break up the entire morning or afternoon. So there, there tends to be holes, but we can sometimes focus on capacity. I will tell you this: I saw a gentleman when it goes to marketing, and, and you know we we can get into marketing, but let me say this: I saw the dentist. One dentist, I said, this person. Uh, actually, interesting enough, I have a phone call with him today. He, I said, this guy gets a marketing like I've never seen someone get marketing. And literally, he took a practice from zero to multi-million dollars within 12 months by using marketing because he understood marketing. Would I go back and say those same, same things? Is people get so caught in the weeds. Should I do SEO, search engine optimization? Should I be doing postcards? Should I be doing this? I think all of it, there has to be enough of it. What I mean by that is, you have to be in the marketplace. In Atlanta right now, we've got a guy named Mark Spain, um, and he is a real estate 
person. He probably has 400 billboards, okay? I'm not telling Dennis to go get billboards, but I'm saying he's top of mind. He's everywhere. He's the first person you think of first. So I would say this. There needs to be a consistent of marketing level so that people think of you first. And here's the thing. We can track acquisition costs. Going back to business principles, you can track acquisition costs. Sometimes people get so paralyzed by what to market in that they don't market at all. I've had people, you know, some people, you know, there's companies out there that will say don't do direct mail. I've got a doctor right now that if she does direct mail, she's got to literally, I mean, she, she gets more patients than she knows what to do with. That's not to say to do direct mail. It's to say if you do, and you, you should be looking at multi, you know, multiple approaches. But if we know it costs $115, let's stay on that for a second. If I can do enough statistics to know that it is, and by the way, I will, this is, it will work for your practice. If, you're, if your acquisition cost is $115 and you're seeing that that's happening, so you're getting enough patients to seeing the return and you're, you're looking at your average revenue and that's working, why would you not multiply? So, so going back to business again, the idea is to get so many patients coming in the door that you don't know where to put them. Then you open up capacity to see those patients. There's so many doctors who do not want to open up on Fridays. They don't want to open expanded hours. They don't want to see the patients that want to come in. And then have team members that take care of them. One of the biggest hurdles I get is nobody wants to work on, nobody wants to work on Friday, Eric, or you know, nobody wants to work an hour late. And I go back to this, if you had a restaurant again, so we go back outside of dentistry and I say, hey, let's say assume we were open Monday through Friday. And Monday through Friday, remember we're only open in the evenings, we've got a high-end restaurant and it slammed out for the next six months. What would you do? You'd open up Saturday. And then of course, if, if all your current team said, I don't want to work Saturday, what would you do? You bring an auxiliary team. Hire some new people. Right, I mean, you're, you're gonna, and so some of these, it, it's always easier to be on this side of the conversation, right? I mean, it's doing this stuff, but I've done it. That's why I tell people, I've done this in my own life. It's interesting, I, I, I coach on this stuff all day long, and you know what conversations I have when I go home? Dental conversations, right? So, <laughs> you're infected. So you've been infected. I said at some point, it's like 9 o'clock at night, I have to say, can we stop talking about dentistry at some point, right? But I mean, this is my life, and I spend so much time in this, but as complex as it sounds, it is actually kind of easy. Well, here's the thing, though, um, Eric. I think it's even more basic than, than you know some of the specifics as to what marketing. I think you know it's really just do something, you know? Focus on on trying to improve the practice, whether it's get the video game or think of different ways to market. And, you know, uh, what we find a lot and, and, and it was from from Dennis, where everybody wants to know, like, what the best thing is to do. How should I market? Right. And, you know, mm -hmm. and, and the answer is it all depends. You know, where are you? What type of practice? What opportunities do you have? And like, it's OK to try something and for it not to work out. And then to try something yeah. else, like it doesn't have to be the the perfect approach out of the gate because you could just stymie yourself indefinitely if you're trying to figure out the absolute best way to do something before you pull well, the trigger right. on it's that decision. It's very dangerous. They're going to announce for us. And one, well, one but, thing, well, that's well, because they're perfectionists, yeah. you know, it, and which, that's, which and is that, not a badge of honor in any way. I mean, uh, Gary not, V is one of say he goes for the fifty-six percent, or he wants to be one hundred and thirty and one hundred and ten as the decisions. Dennis want to be two and zero. Oh. And uh, yeah. what I would say, Eric, just because your, your wife is a periodontist, right? She's a, she's a general. general oh, she's a general dentist, but she, uh, you probably work with all different types. One of the easiest things I can just infuse that I teach dentists every day, it costs them nothing, is just to change their words and to try to connect oh, yeah. with the patients they have and get them to as many periodontists and oral surgeons for implants and just practice a new way of talking to 
to get them to connect and do cases that are valuable because what comes with marketing too and i'm just i'm just sharing from the dentist perspective is you have to be to deliver services that are productive profitable and ones you can replicate and that's another thing that dental school just teaches us stuff that was done in the 1970s and 80s so we just have another (laughs) hurdle that we need to overcome which is possible but one of the easiest things is you change your words you don't have to buy anything and try to get people connected to go to specialists and you can i mean i i have a uh, I cannot do this visual on the podcast, but I start off many of my lectures. I say, you know, who wants to, um, who went to dental school? Keep your hand up. Who wants to make more money and be happier? Uh, keep your hands up. Who wants to work more hours? And the whole room, their hands go down. And I said, well, then you have to do more implant cases because they're one of the few things that allow you to be more profitable in the same hours you're working. But you're, you're right. We just don't approach business like this. And Rob's right, too, because no one told us along the way. And, and we're now we're trying to learn it on the proverbial streets. And it's not easy. When I go back to you know also what you know what is marketing I think what do you, what does that mean which is I don't use the word I, I'll talk about advertising and branding and different you know things but you know I was talking to you know I'm going to spend some time with a doctor just tomorrow on case acceptance the exact same thing right why don't we work with our current patients and getting those numbers up in a sense that's still working within our own right and there's internal marketing campaigns. And, and I don't want to get too far in that because that's why I didn't want to get too far because people do get paralyzed. I, I love that you both said that. That's such a great point is that people get so paralyzed that they don't do anything. And it's, it's interesting when you make an investment, because I did call it reinvestment, right? So yeah. when you make an investment, you're not, not all of them are going to knock it out of the park. There are some things you're going to do and, and go, just like if you invest in a portfolio. Years ago, I was lucky enough to work with um, a gentleman, um, and uh, he was multi multi millionaire, and I, he would pay me to come down and do his taxes every year because he had macular degeneration and he couldn't see anymore. And so I would do his taxes every year, and this guy would he would we would look over at a stock, and he'd say, "I lost eight hundred thousand dollars on AT and T this year." And I'd go, w-, "You know what?" And he's like, "That's okay. I made one point six million on this stock." My point is that that I love that you both said that, which is, look, sometimes you're gonna swing for the fences and sometimes, I mean, when, when you make an investment, some pan out more than others, but if you start investing as a whole, your overall portfolio, i.e. your reinvestment, your return in the practice will go up. So you have to be able to, willing to make decisions to get it to move forward and not everything's gonna work out. You're not gonna hit 100%, and I love that you said that. Well, it, it's a couple things there, because I wanna kind of turn and talk about mindset and you know growth which is i know another big big theme of yours but i think people need to understand just generally before we get off of this this topic you know investment is you know you're going to put money into the practice to grow and to do better it you you have to spend money to make money you know and it's not and that doesn't mean that you go out and you just throw money away and spend money like a drunken sailor but there are so many people that we see and there's not everybody, but there's definitely a, a subset of, yeah. of of our dental clients that we see this with that want to do something the cheapest possible way. I want to do a startup as cheap as possible. I want to do marketing as cheap as possible. And it's like, or I want to buy a practice. I want to buy the cheapest practice right. I could find because it's less risky. You know, people fall into this trap of thinking like, you know, it's if I do it cheaper, it won't be as risky. And my from my experience doing things on the cheap is a lot more risky and what people need to really understand and and consider 
is you know like what i say if i'm doing a startup you know a, a lecture to a you know a group of startups you know i'm a ideal practices you know yeah. practice startup practice blueprint there's no award for having the cheapest startup you know there's no award for having the cheapest marketing campaign nobody cares about that you know what you care about is revenue and even more so profit and you you get revenue and you get profit by investing and spending money strategically uh, but you don't get that from doing things doing nothing or trying to save money on the things that can actually help you make money I, I think it goes back down to the idea of scarcity versus abundance, which is a, a topic I talk about sometimes. And mm-hmm. um, I had a CEO ask me, you know, not too long ago and of another large dental company. And he said, what do you think the difference is between the practice that never, you know, hits a million dollars and, and then the practice that becomes three, four, five million dollars? So, you know, what's the biggest difference? And I said, it's mindset. It's scarcity versus abundance. Um, and what I mean by that is, is the person who's always watching every dollar, the person who's scared to commit anything, the person who's scared that this investment isn't going to pan out so they're not going to make it, the person who's watching, you know, they don't ever let anyone walk in their door or communicate with them because they're so scared that they might get sold something or, you know, they're so locked down to the scarcity mindset. And, and this isn't, you know, this is a stu- they've done studies on the difference between millionaires and billionaires and people who aren't. And really they found that people that are millionaires are billionaires and, and, and there's actually a Harvard study on this is they have an abundance mindset, which means they understand that there's an unlimited amount of revenue. There's an unlimited amount of patience. There's an unlimited amount of opportunity. And so when we get so scarcity focused and what I mean by that, you only have so much energy. I would rather spend, if I had an hour of my time, and I'm not saying be inefficient with expenses, but if I had an hour of my time focused on cutting expenses versus hour of my time focused on growth, where would I want to put my time? I walked into a room one time, um, I was asked to come speak to a very large advisory board in the dental world here in Georgia, and it was the head of the GDA at the time and the head of the Hinman Convention, it was these people in this room, and literally they were talking about how to save doctors 2% in their overall overhead, and I thought, what a waste. Yeah. All this brain power. Why aren't we talking about how to help them grow their revenue and grow their profitability and grow their practice? So one side is this scarcity. Let me make it cheap, cheap, cheap. You know, fend off anyone who wants to help me. I've got it. I'm going to make sure I can get the cheapest things and cheapest materials and cheapest experience. And, and the other says, there's an unlimited amount of resources. Maybe this person can help me. Maybe they're, you know, maybe they can't. I'm a, but I'm going to open myself to opportunity. I'm going to make investments. I, I'm going to provide value to the marketplace. And the more value I provide to the marketplace, the return is unlimited. Going back to even what you saw on implants, it's just adding more value to the to your patient base. So there's an unlimited amount. And I think the people that get stuck on that scarcity mindset, I've never seen somebody with a scarcity mindset ever launch in this industry. I've never walked up to anybody who has a, you know, $5 million plus practice or even, even a $2 million practice and say, and they say, oh, I'm just, I've been really cheap on everything I've done. I've, I've made sure I don't wait, you know, yeah. I've never seen that. Those, exactly. those, are, the, those are the individuals that get So stuck. true. And I think and that a, your points are so great. I just think what we really need to do for the good of our community is to try to get this message back to the dental schools because we spend four years in a scarcity mindset being told everything we do is wrong and things are not gonna go right and we're always focused 
focused on light now. One of my things is live your life in the most, not the lightning. I mean, dentists live their life mm-hmm. thinking it's gonna lightning every day, even if it's sunny out. Like it could lightning. I'm like, it's a rare mm-hmm. chance. Like it could happen. And and that and unfortunately, if you guys didn't have the joy of going through four years of dental school, the people that teach you are generally not qualified to be teaching new people anything in life, anything, let alone dentistry. And they and they shape your mindset just like I have, you know, a five year old and, and I've shaped her mindset. So it's just it's just so important to get this back to the dental school and in, in, infiltrate the thought process because they're in this closed environment where they set up the dental student hunger games and it, it just really <laughs> ch- changes their life forever. You know, though, Paul, let me say this, though. I, I think that that obviously that needs to happen, but not to be the pessimist. Uh the, the likelihood of that truly happening in the near future is probably remote. Yeah, what I, I would agree. say is even more important than trying to convince the dental schools to teach that is that dentists need to realize that that mentality exists. And this is a, a perfect segue into where I want to go with, with Eric now, which is you need to surround yourself with people who don't have the scarcity uh, focus the scarcity. I don't know, can we call it a scarcity mindset? You know, but people that have the abundance mindset, the growth mindset. You know, and know that you're kind of coming at this as with a deficiency in yeah. that regard. And you know, I actually uh, I was listening to uh, to one of Eric's uh, podcasts uh, a while back that I thought was really cool. Um, and he was talking about the ceiling of conformity, and you know, so I want to talk about that a little bit, Eric. But you know. To me, and this is, you know, the ceiling of conformity is all about who you surround yourself with. And, you know, when you're in dental school, you don't have a choice. You're surrounded by the dental school, right? Just like just like Daphne has no yeah. choice. She can't say, you know what, Dad, uh, Mom and Dad, I, I've decided that I'm not really up for what, what we're doing in this house yeah, right. anymore. Yeah. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to move on. I'm going to go move in yeah. with, uh, with Uncle Jeff, you know, and he's, he's running a better program as, as far as I could see. So, but you're kind of, you're captive there. You know, you, the dental school is, is the- Captive is a good way to put it. Yeah, yeah you're captive. Right. You, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. You know, and, and I, I don't know how much time you should try to spend trying to convince them of that. But, you know, after you get out of dental school, you are not captive anymore, you know, and that's where I think it becomes important to surround yourself with the people who have the mindset that, you know, can guide you in, in, in a growth mindset and more of an abundance mindset to make decisions and get you out of that and, and sort of deprogram you, right, uh, from what you learned in dental school. So I mean, if you can, Eric, uh, talk to our listeners uh, a little bit about that that concept, the uh, the ceiling of uh, of conformity, as you called it, which I really I thought was pretty powerful, and it really translates, I think, into where you get advice and how you kind of run your operation and pick the people yeah. that are going to help you. When I came up with this concept, it, you know, it was really me watching as an observer in the marketplace and watching. You know, one of the things I challenge myself and what I coach and teach is. You know, I obviously want to move people to, you know, kind of break outside of what they're doing currently and be successful, whether it's personally or professionally or whatnot. And what I found was that most doctors, for instance, let's just, I used million dollars a few times in this podcast, so let's just use that. So if you're doing a million dollars in revenue in your dental practice, odds are I would bet that if I would ask who are your five closest dental friends, their practices are doing a similar number, you know, 800,000, 1.2, maybe 1.4. And so what ends up happening is 
I truly, I'm a, by the way, guys, I'm an optimist. I'm a idealist, but, and I, and I think the best in people, but I really think people want to see you do well, just not better than them. <laughs> and so, so what ends up happening is I think when you start to have these ideas, so let's say someone listens to this podcast and they start to get really excited and they're, you know, I'm going to go do X, Y, or Z. And, and what ends up happening is the first filter they run those things through are their dental friends. Hey, what if I was to do this? What if I was to do that? And what they'll get is this, and I call it a ceiling because they get pushed right back down again. Oh, that'll never work. Oh, I had a friend who tried that and didn't work. Oh, that doesn't make sense. And so what they do is they keep pushing them down. And so to break through that ceiling, you literally have to say, and I, I was giving someone a visual recently. I said, imagine if you're, there's a raging river and you're on one side of the river, and on the other side of the river are the people that got to the other side. And you're trying to get to the other side. Who are you going to ask for advice? <laughs> the people that are on the same side of the river as you or the people that got over there? And so what ends up happening is we stay in this circle. And by the way, people hire consultants. And those consultants are, all their clients are doing 1.1, 1. You know, 1, 1. 1.2. And, and they're only in the dental. And then they get locked into this group of conformity. And then every time that they break, try to break through the ceiling, somebody pushes them back down. Sometimes it's their family as, and friends as well, but they get pushed back down. And so to break through from that, I really do think people have to challenge themselves to say, who are the people that, and you have to do it strategically. And you have to actually look to say, okay, there is Dr. Smith. Dr. Smith has two locations. And by the way, that might not be what you want, but I'm just using it for this example. He has two locations and he's doing $5 million. I would love to spend time with Dr. Smith and figure out how he got there or how she got there and, and, and start spending time with those people because here's what I know to be true after doing this for so many years. If I was to take the doctor doing a million dollars and I set him in a room or her in a room of doctors that are doing five million dollars, I will promise you that doctor's revenue would increase so significantly almost overnight. And sometimes it's it's breaking through the, it's just literally the conversations you have based on the people you spend time with. And I'm not the first one to, to talk about this concept, but I just saw it happening over and over in the dental world that most people were hanging out with people that were doing similar revenue amounts and getting advice from those people. And I would challenge people to get outside of that, that current level. And you know, it's years ago I was talking to a, I'll never forget this. I was talking to, uh, to a doctor and he was telling me how his business went down over time and I said, well, who do you get advice from? And he's just telling me about his accountant he was getting all his advice from. I said, well, tell me about his business. Well, his, literally <laughs> their trend lines and their business were going down together. And I was like, I wouldn't be taking advice from him. What so I would I say there, Erica, I think your, your concept's great, Rock, but I wanna ask, I wanna be the person, because I just had a, a, we just had a great event in Philly with a lot of dentists of all ages coming and they would, if they were hearing this, they would say, I'm totally on board, I'm four years out of school, I'm an associate, I wanna buy a practice. How do I get into those rooms with those people? How do I meet those people? So sometimes I think we give this advice, me included, but we don't give the execution part. So if, you, if someone said, hey, Eric, I'm on board with this. I live in St. Louis, Missouri. I'm an associate with a, two dentists who haven't gone to see a meaningful in 20 years. They can't help me. I wanna go and do what you're saying. Tell them what they could do in a in an execution way to, to get into those rooms or have those conversations. Love that. 
I'm going to give you a, a real life example. And excuse me. And after Arc finishes, after Arc finishes, I'm going to ask Paul that because yeah. I know Paul's got some ideas about that. Sure. <laughs> well, I was at, I was spending time. I was asked to go speak to uh, the GPR residents um, here in Georgia, and a talented young doctor came up to me, and she just the brightest person. I mean, just great energy, great you know ambition, great smile, and. She paid, it's interesting, she paid out of her own pocket as an associate, not, now no practice paid for this, to be in a room where nobody, literally she was the only associate in that room and she paid as an associate to be in that room. Then because she was willing to be there, she actually started paying, now keep in mind, she did not have a dental practice. She, she had no dental practice at all. But she started a paying to be into rooms where people of those numbers were in those rooms. Now, what I know about people that are highly successful is they'd like to transfer those things to other people. And, and what do you think she met in one of my rooms? She met a doctor that actually is from the same state as her who was looking to expand, who needed someone who was bright and talented. And he's doing, he has a multi-million dollar practice. He ends up taking her under you know, his wing. And, and, and now she's in a group of, you know, in, in, in these other groups right now, she's hanging out with doctors that are doing a higher level. My point of that is to say, what made her so different? Everything. She was willing to do what others won't. She paid out of her pocket as an associate to be in a room where it's hard to get dental owners to show up to be in that room, yet she is an associate being in that room. She worked herself into being with circles because she wanted to be with successful doctors with successful businesses. She fought to be in those circles. She paid to be in those circles. And she sought out people who had the same mindset as her. The truth is, here's what I say. It's, you, know, you have what you become. When you're tremendously successful and you're driven and you have a great attitude and you're, you're humble and hungry and smart, I will tell you also, you'll attract those people because they, they're looking for those people. You, you both know that. As business owners, you look at it and go, hey, I'm looking for talented people that I can bring into my organization and mentor. That's what people like us are looking for is those successful people. So sometimes it's, this is a person who went out of their way to look for those people. Sometimes it's identifying. Sometimes it's working on your own personal development. And, and part of working on your own personal development is you end up in those circles where you meet those people. It's, it's great advice, and I, 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 that person's special, and I was just at last week at a t lecturing to like 50 or 60 dentists of all different ages and stages, uh, and the GPR residents were there, place in New Jersey, and um, they stayed afterwards, and one had known me from Dental Nachos and said, oh, you wanna take a picture, and I was telling about finding jobs is very difficult you know, for young dentists now, because I was just gonna guess that, you know, none of them wanted to move to the middle of, Pen of uh, Pennsylvania. None of them chose that one, Rob. Uh, yeah. No one wanted to move to uh, <laughs> any town in Texas. They didn't choose that one. They said Staten Island, New York, Philadelphia, Washington, Texas D.C. Texas is cool, no place, yeah. I mean, but you know, Texas is a giant state. So where there's a lot of so I said, the thing that you guys should do is I have something coming up in April where I put all these people in a room and I offer you guys below cost pricing and here's all the information and you should come. And you put yourself in this room and you're gonna meet people to do that. Now there's eight of them. And it's, it's, it's somewhat of a, a challenge because are they gonna come or not come? And one of the things I 
tell you is, you know, no one sees the journey to be successful. They don't see how annoying it is. They don't see how much time you put in. Even when I was back as a multi-year GPR resident, I would go to study clubs till 10 o'clock at night when I didn't feel like it because I knew I'd be making relationships that helped me till today. And I just think there's not enough of that. There's no shortcuts to success. There's a ton of annoyance. Right. And a lot of the times the, <laughs> the genuine advice that has no that's told that you know i don't have any self-interest in a lot of this advice you know you're in st louis i say go to a study club once a month that you go find a study club and just show up once a month don't look at the topic don't look at the food and just show up and it, i have no self-interest in this it's not my study club and then i go come back to that dentist six months later and say how many times did you go and they say zero but they want to be successful and i just think the key is doing the things that you don't feel like doing because what successful people are going to tell you is the stuff that you don't feel like doing and that's a whole part of this you know, the advice that you get from people, it's tough, but if you, it's tough to do things you don't feel like doing, but if you wanna be like them, it's not easy. And I mean, I've learned this from my mentors and learned from people I'm with, like a, a Rob, I, I Lincoln Harris come to Philly, who's, you know, it's a 70,000 member Facebook group from Australia. And he sort of echoed the same sentence, no sentiment, no one sees this journey to get to be successful. And they don't see how challenging that journey is and how Phil is. So that person that used to discuss Eric is very, what I would call nacho ordinary, that associate, right? You know, she's special. Um, I just think we need to get young dentists uh, embracing more of that mindset. We have to get out of your comfort zone. Yeah, you totally. Know, it's a lot easier to sit at home and, and watch Netflix on a right. Thursday night than, yeah. than go to that meeting. But, you know, just, you know, Eric's example of this young dentist is a good one. You know, what did she do? Well, she tried to improve herself she focused you know she's trying something and, and going to a meeting like this did she save money by not going no she spent some money she invested right. in herself and she's trying to make relationships with people that are you know doing something that she's not doing yet or might be doing it in a way that's better or it's the next step the same thing that todd fleischman yeah. you know was a guest yeah, todd, on the show Lewis, did too. People, yeah. you know todd was you know, the youngest guy in the room or sometimes todd was the only general dentist in the room with with other specialists you know whatever it is you know it's like you just got to do something right yeah. you know and and you can't expect uh, success to be handed to you and the dental profession the dental business let's call it because it's more than just the profession has changed you know you and so. as, as Eric you said at the outset you know what are DSOs doing you know well they're private equity people rather are investing in DSOs because they see the cash flow they see the opportunity you know the there is competition and and that is the competition for the owner operator you can't expect to compete against those groups if you're not doing something right. and trying Trying to compete, you know, and like you got to get in the game. Yeah. And if you're just expecting opportunities to be handed to you, and you know, a, a, a fantastic lifestyle and right. you know the good life, you know, without paying your dues, without investing in time and money, um, you're kidding yourself, you know. And it's all about well, continuing to think of ways, whether you're talking about how you talk to patients or how you market or the the patient experience whatever yeah. you know all both of you guys talked about you know several you know different different ways and and strategies and possibilities whatever it is you know you got to do something you know and because if, if you don't you know shame on you and you know you can complain that you know there are non-dental owners in the in the dental business now and that's just the way it is but you know, you have to compete with them by doing the types of things that they're doing or, you know, or that they're not doing and experiment and try new things to be relevant. Otherwise, you know, you're off the back. Very true. Well, I go back to one one thing um, you had said earlier. We talk about scarcity and abundance. I go back down to that GPR resident who, you know, if she had said, you know, I've got 
you know, dentists who own practices who are saying, it costs how much? How much is it going to help me grow? And it's so interesting that here it is, this GPR resident, going back to your point, who had an abundance mindset who says, I don't even own a practice, but someday I will. And I'm sure I'm going to learn some things I'm going to apply. I'm going to meet great people. See, the qualitative fact is she ended up putting herself in a room of successful people and it ended up, by the way, it's going to end up changing her career trajectory versus the person who has a scarcity mindset who their question is, how much does it cost again? And so two different ways of looking at it. And, uh, and I lastly say that something that hit me the other day and I was literally talking to a doctor. I said, you know what the problem with the average doctor is? They're average. And I was, I was like, hold on, let me write that down. <laughs> but I mean, it, was like, yeah. it made me think. And I said, you know, that's the problem. So go back down to this GPR resident again and go back down to the ceiling of conformity. I would still go back to that and say, what does the average person do? Figure out what the average doctor does. I mean, sit down and take a piece of paper, write down what makes a dentist average. And maybe it's clinical, maybe it's personal development, maybe it's you know, managerial time, maybe, whatever you want, maybe it's leadership, whatever you want to write down, what does the average dentist do? And then be strategic on saying, what would I need to do to be above average, right? Take those steps and do what's not, what, don't be conform, don't conform to what everyone else is doing. Say, what is it that everyone else is doing? And then how can I step mm-hmm. above that? And I think if people took that step, whether it be the things we talked about in the show, whether it's the reinvestment or whether it's marketing or whether it's experience, or whether, figure out what those average things are do. And that's why I say, if people do those things, it's easy to dominate and do really well in this industry. Just figure out what average is. And then you don't even have to go 12 steps above that. Go two steps and watch what happens. It's pretty significant. Yeah, well, I, I'm a big proponent. I totally agree, Eric. And, you know, sort of, Paul has asked a couple of times, like, what are the action items and what do you look for? I think that it's crucial to work with, you know, surround yourself with the right team, right, which we've talked about. And who is the right team in this in this context? The right team are the consultants and the people that are, you know, doing exactly what you're talking about doing. You know, if you surround yourself with sort of the mediocre people that are just kind of rubber stamping things, they've got template forms for their, you know, for their financial advice or template forms and and giving the same road advice for startup services or CPA services or legal services, whatever it might be. Um, You know, look to the people that are actually running a good business that have gone beyond, you know, sort of the norm in their industry. You know, um, I will tell you, and and you can learn from those people. Some of them are dental. Some of them are non-dental. You know, I've said before, there's one legal podcast that I occasionally listen to. I really don't want to listen to how other lawyers are doing things because it doesn't really matter to me. Right. And the same thing comes up to some extent with dentists. But. You know, like when I go to, you know, listen to, for example, you know, Jamie Amos, right? Ideal Practices does an awesome job with his business, you know, and I've said to clients, you know, why not work with somebody that's, that's, you know, runs their business in a very growth mindset, a growth oriented way, you know, and and the same thing comes, you know, same thing is, is true with whatever professional you're working with. You know, if you seek out sort of the person who's just sort of like the mediocre average consultant, the mediocre average CPA, as you said, you know, taking advice from somebody whose business is kind of going down with yours like that, that's not really going to help you. But, you know, people like Eric, right? You know, Eric has a, a business philosophy that he has used to launch himself beyond 
the norm. He is not your ordinary. Yeah, right. Oh, right? Yeah. That's, That's a new your, term. Steal yeah. your line. And I want to circle back, you know, and with that in mind, I want to talk, you know, kind of about uh, Eric and, you know, sort of what he does just personally and with his business, you know, which we usually talk about at the outset. But, you know, Eric, so, you know, at you know at four thirty in the morning, yeah, I think right. you said you get up or three fifty five. Three fifty five. I'm sorry, man. You, you might you might be the first guest that has earlier than Rob, so, right? Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Look at that. I like that. I like that. Eric. Uh, although I, I did <laughs> I did have to walk the dog this morning at 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 three forty, which I as a, I could still see the clock, uh, or at least let her out. But um, you know what is Eric Morin doing at at three fifty five in the morning? <laughs> I, I started this journey about a year ago, and I will tell you it's been transformative. And I actually had some, some clients who, who thought that was crazy and started doing it and started realizing. And actually, if you started studying successful people, you'll, you'll see how they call it the four o'clock, the power hour. Um, the reason why I get up so early is because First of all, I get frustrated if anyone's at the gym before me, but I want to get there. And it's about mindset. It's about changing my mental state. It's about getting there. Um, and because you think about it, if I'm at the gym at four o'clock, that's four to five. By the time you come back and, you know, get showered and ready to go, let's assume it's 530, 545. I'm, I'm trying to show up to my business in the right mental state and the right physical state. Um, and feeling great and ready to tackle of the day. My team is looking at me for direction. When I walk in that door, if I'm sluggish and I look half put together and I look half awake, that just told the rest of the team that that's the way we approach the day. And so there's a strategy in my mind, which is when I walk in that door, I wanna be a, you know, a ball of lightning. I wanna walk in and people be inspired and moved and, and used as a role model. So it takes, and by the way, when I started doing this, it, it seemed a little bit, crazy but to be honest with you now if i'm sleeping till 5 36 i feel like that's really long you, now, you wasted you time you lost yeah, lost yeah. hour right i'm gonna find someone who never like, sleeps they're gonna win every, win everything like, when do you go to bed never <laughs> that's, that's right but there's also intentionality about that let me say the other side if i come in at, let's say i just show up at the office at six o'clock and i and I've, i'm very strategic with my time and let's assume it's two thirty, three o'clock and i've just you know, I've gotten so much done and I'm so intentional. You know, I, I just spent time with the doctor just uh, Monday just on how to be, what to do on her CEO day. So the day she's not in the chair. But if I'm intentional with those days and so good at that, what ends up happening is maybe instead of, right, just getting off at five o'clock and sitting in traffic for an hour and a half in Atlanta, what I might do is be able to leave B traffic and then maybe go spend time with my kids, right? Or do something that's in personal development. So extreme being at 355 allows me to miss traffic and be extremely intentional with my time and so there's a there's a discipline even though it sounds a little a little bit drastic by getting up so early it forces me to be intentional with my day and so i and then i can translate that to clients and my team and and what kind of things are you doing for uh, or have you done or sort of dabbled in for uh, as far as personal development um, I'm a constant personal development junkie. <laughs> so, that does not so surprise I, me. <laughs> so, so I am, uh, I am definitely a, whether it be diet, whether it be development and reading and, and disciplines, whether, cause I do, you know, when, when it comes to my own development, you know, that's what, when someone's scared to invest a few thousand dollars, I mean, in the last 12 months, I'm, I'm towards up towards 
you know, six figures in personal development because of the fact that I will take the courses, I will spend the time in trainers, and I will spend the time in in um, in, in growing myself, and whether that be through my diet and, and get the right people there, or personal trainers, or spending time with my family. I think it's there's a constant what happens is this compound effect. When we start to do one habit, you'd be surprised if, if somebody woke up at four, let's, well, I'll give you till four, right? We'll skip the five minutes, give you till four o'clock. If you did that for a period of time, what it would happen is you'd start to see that when you got to work, you would have more energy. Let's just take that example. You got to work, you had more energy, you felt more energetic, you, you looked a little, you know, felt more awake, felt sharper. You might address your team differently. If you started addressing them, doing your morning huddles a little differently and addressing your team differently, they start to show up a little different. They start to want to do personal development. They start to grow. And it starts to actually affect the entire organization. So it's a long way of saying I literally changed an organization one time by a book. And I gave a doctor a book and I told her uh, if we were going to work together, I was going to give her a week to read this book. And what book was that? It was The Compound Effect. Uh-huh. And she was spending to me her business had went down dramatically, and so what happened was is when when her business went down dramatically, um, I just said to her she was paying I think a hundred thousand dollars a year in consultants or something you know and she wasn't getting the return and I said the problem was really not in that stuff it's in personal development so what I had her do is I said I want you to fire everyone you're working with. And I said, here's what we're going to do. You're not going to pay me anything either. Here's what you're going to do. I'm going to give you a book, and you're going to have a, a week to read this book. And if you're serious about the book, and you're serious about this process, then you're going to read the book in a week, and then we're going to get on a conversation in a week, and then you're going to tell me how it affected you. And to fast forward to the story, we did this for two, three weeks, and she, and then it was so amazing to watch. Her attitude started changing, but when she started going to the office, her team started saying, hey, what are you doing different? You're coming in, you have a different energy, you have a different smile. She said, I read a book. What do you think they asked? What are you reading? <laughs> right, and it's, it's you funny because they're, believe it or not, this dental practice, their revenue started transforming over a book. And so personal development plays such a key role into the overall success of your practice. So I think that you have to look at those key moves and say, it, you know, it doesn't have to be tackling the the, the world. It, it might just be setting your alarm clock a little earlier. Um, but I, I spend a lot in personal development because I, I believe that those compound effects. So if you if you have a better attitude, let's go play that scenario out just for a minute. So all of a sudden now you're getting up, you're feeling more physically fit, your clothes are starting to feel better. You're bringing that success to your business. Your success starts, you know, your business starts becoming successful. Maybe you go home and instead of having you know, a bourbon, you, you feel energized. You're like, I don't want to take anything, a downer. I want to spend time. And you grab your wife's hand and you sit on the back porch with her and your marriage starts to become better. And, and I think that though, because I don't lose the sight of the idea of this, this is a business. It's an asset, but it's not the world that, that we do this for a reason. We're in this business for, you know, a, a why, a reason why we're here. And I don't ever lose sight. And I don't want clients to lose sight of the idea and people that I work with and people listening to this is, is that, it's just still a business. There's a reason why we're doing. One of the first qu- th- questions I will ask somebody when I work with them is, what do you want? And, and trying to dig into that sometimes is the most difficult thing because I think we lose sight of that sometimes. And, and utilizing this business, this is business is a tool to create the life you want. And by using personal development, I think it gets you on that path. Um, and I think it'll help you start to create that life you want. 
Yeah, I mean, it's a life that you want. And it's not it's not one size fits all either, which I think a lot of people fall into the trap, you know, and it's really about your personal vision. Uh, and I, when we were chatting uh, before we came on today, too, I, I was uh, interested to hear that you uh, also read uh personal development books to your 11 year old which uh i thought i thought was interesting i i used to kind of have that juice with my now teenager and she's sort of drifting away from that a little bit but uh i uh i thought that was uh that was neat to hear i have have to tell you my my daughter we're i'm reading um a a book about investment and to my kids by 11 and six years old so i'm reading these books and and these are my bedtime stories okay Uh, (laughs) life in the warren household my daughter raises her head and she says dad can you explain to me what a capital investment is Uh i thought that's so interesting it hit me i said a six-year-old can learn what a capital investment is right children don't lack capacity they lack teachers and so what ends up happening is we look at this and say, look, if a, if a, if, if a six-year-old can gain the, cap, you know, the idea of capital investment, certainly anyone listening to this can. And so I think it's what we consume sometimes. And going back to that average versus not average, what are you consuming? You brought the idea of Netflix and going to the couch and watching Netflix. It's what are you consuming and what are you bringing into your life? And so, you know, my son recently, one of, one of the greatest really maybe even the greatest part of doing what I've done is I, I was writing in my uh, right with my son last week and he said dad is there is there a day I can come to one of your retreats or workshops that you do is there a day I can come and I looked over at him and I said why not come this week <laughs> you know and so you know there's over a hundred people in the room and he's in the back and he just wants to learn and I watch him take notes and and it's so interesting to me because I just I'm just so captivated that my 11 year old wants to be in that room and soak this in it's cool is that average or above average right and so so it goes back to the same thing. I mean, people will do this at 11. So having him in that room and hearing the same message, but uh, he was like, Dad, I've heard this over and over again. I think it's what you consume. And, and so I think personal development plays a huge role in, in our success. Yeah, yeah, totally agree. This, uh, awesome info. Yeah, good stuff. Uh, another like-minded uh, person in the, in the world here, Paul, for, for us. Next uh, podcast, we've got about 2.55 a.m. That's it. Actually, yeah. <laughs> I, looked, I looked at Marky Mark's, thing, you know, Mark Wahlberg, and I looked at his schedule one day, and I thought that's what initially inspired me. I said, I don't think I'm going to do 2.55, but I think I could do 3.55. Mm-hmm. 2.55 <laughs> uh, presents certain social challenges, because <laughs> even at the, the 3.55, right. you, as you said, you, 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 leave the, uh, you might leave the party a little early, because you're a little tired and yeah, come, yeah. come 10 30 like you're definitely not up at midnight if you're if you're waking up at that hour um but uh eric uh so uh how can uh how can people get in touch with you and how can they learn more about uh tower leadership you know i think one of the great things to do is is you know i have a, the podcast dental wealth i think the, you know i love podcasts like this and, and gentlemen thank you for having me on I, I think one of the great things about this is hearing some you know philosophy and message and and i would invite anyone to listen to dental wealth and, and really that is about listen to the philosophy and maybe I'm, my philosophy is right for you maybe it's not maybe you just pick up one or two things i think that's a great way to start and then if you like that philosophy and it sounds like something you're interested in, we'd love to have you, you know, at Tower Leadership, reach out to Tower Leadership and set up some time to talk to someone in our company or just go to towerleadership.com and, and check out our resources. We'd love to be an assistant if, if we're a fit for you. Yeah, sounds good. Thanks, uh, thanks for taking the time and uh, for being on the show. Great stuff. Good, good information for, for our listeners. Thanks so much, Eric. Well, I really appreciate it. You both have an amazing day. 
Good stuff from, from Eric Warren today, huh? Yeah, awesome stuff. Just echoing a lot of sentiments about how to do things that you guys picked up. Not so ordinary to be successful. Yeah, and I I, uh, I love his podcast, uh, actually. You know, So I listen to, to some shows. Uh, I always intend to, to do that before we have a guest on, but this, this time I actually had the opportunity to, and you know, found that they were really uh, they were they were really impactful and for me too. I mean, I'm not a dentist, but this is business stuff. It's it's business philosophy. It's you know mindset that really applies universally, whether you know whatever business or industry that you're in. And you know, I think so much of what he's saying is it's really true. It's just that you need you know to really work on yourself and and try to improve you know what your your practice and focus on focus on your business go it, go and figure right and it's and so, it's like no surprise when things good things work out when you do that i uh, i tell you all the things that we embrace about being creative and changing it's just unfortunately the dental school process is stuck in one way and i think you're right i don't like i actually don't expect the dental school instructors to change but i'm hoping that the fact that there is podcasts, Facebook groups and things like that, that you can get some of these messages back to dental students who can listen to it while they're working out or walking or taking a break from studying because these are things to just be thinking about when you're going through the, the schooling process. And I wish I had more of when I was a student. Yeah, well, you know, and it's like, it's so true. And these resources are great. And if nothing more than it gives you sort of like the opportunity to sort of, you know, hang out, air quotes, you know, yeah. with people that have a different way of thinking, you know, and, you know, you don't have to be in the room necessarily with Eric if you're listening to his show and, you know, certain things and certain elements of that are really going to ring true and give you sort of ideas and motivation and of, of different ways to, to go about your business and, and different ways to, to conduct yourself and, and personal development that can impact, you know, your practice, your relationships, everything, you know, yeah. and it's, it's great. It's free. Yeah, right. right? Yeah, it's it doesn't free, even free, cost free, anything. A little bit each day makes a lot better. And I think that's the key point of what successful people do. They don't turn on one day and spend a week doing all the right stuff. It's just doing a little bit each day. And some things do go sideways. He, he had said, and Gary Vee says, and always says that not everything you pick is going to be perfect, but better to be 130 and 110 with your decisions, like Gary Vee says, than the dentist trying to be 2-0. and And that mindset from our schooling just holds you back a lot right yeah it's, it's okay you know look you don't want to fail when you're doing clinical dentistry right. but you know it's okay to experiment on different different things and different ways yeah. of how you run your business and some things are going to work some things aren't you know a lot of dentists want to know the way to do it and you know it depends where you are it depends on the situation you know and a lot of this is trial and error and it's like it's hard i think for dentists any professional you know that is a perfectionist to say like uh something's going to happen that may not be perfect you know i don't want it to, to let that happen but you know when it comes to the business stuff whether it's marketing or you know how you're uh, organizing your team or what your approach is to the day it's okay you know try yeah. different things I, and then find totally the one that works for yeah. you you know pack your nachos and start on the road to uh, success <laughs> yeah and the last thing i want to say too because this is really so true and, and it comes up in a lot of different contexts and i think a lot of people uh, miss the boat on this is really the importance of investing in something that you control, you know, and I don't think that necessarily Eric's saying don't have a 401k, don't plan for your retirement. But I think you need to kind of keep that in perspective and realize that, you know, you have the ability to control or affect your the outcome of your business by investing in your business that yeah. you go to every day, you know, and it's like, you can Put money in the stock market and hope that it works out for you or maybe it's you know buying a new piece of equipment doing an additional office hiring another person 
bringing on a consultant, whatever the case may be, you know, you can you can invest that way in something that actually you have the ability to 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 impact and to control on a daily basis, not something that's just sort of happening, you know, out there in the ether and you find out, you know, quarterly when you get your statement, yeah. like what happened with that? Like you're there every day, boots on the ground, you know, this is what's impacting your your daily life. You can control it, you can make changes and it and it can have a positive impact at a very you know, ground floor level. And if you, like I was just echoing, like not everything shows up on the stat sheet. A lot of it's just your, your own personal experiences being the business owner and some running and enjoying it better. So yeah. I think that message was there. Yeah, that's an intangible thing. And that gets back to, you know, what's good for one dentist is not necessarily, you know, one size fits all that everybody likes, you know, and and uh, and and what's good for one is not, you know, doesn't mean that everybody has to do it the same yeah, way. Just like nacho toppings. It's cool. Thanks, Paul. Always a pleasure. Thanks, Rob. And uh, thanks for listening, everybody. Uh, if you like the show, please uh, go on iTunes or Google, uh, however you get your podcast and give us uh, a good review. Thanks. Until next time. Thanks for listening to another great podcast with the Dental Amigos. And don't forget to tune in next time to have the dental business demystified. If you're looking for more information about today's podcast, you can find it on the dentalamigos.com. If you're looking for Paul, you can find Paul at drpaulgoodman.com. And if you're looking for Rob, you can find him at yourdentallawyer.com. This podcast has been sponsored by Orange Line Media Group, helping dentists and other professionals create content people love. Find out how we can help you take your business to the next level at www.orangelinemg.com. Till next time.